Okay, so last week we had a full service and it was terrific. Um, and so we didn't get to everything uh, that I had planned to preach. So we're going to finish it up today. Uh, adjusted the notes a little bit, so hopefully uh, you can stay with me. Um, last week, just a reminder again, uh, we talked about earlier in chapter 22, we get the story of from Jesus of this king who is planning a feast and inviting people to come. If you've been here the last few you you know that, you remember that. Um, so I'm not going to go through a ton of those things. I want to point out and remind us of one specifically that we're going to tie in throughout uh, time together today. And that's, that's the patience of God. I really emphasized that, that last week. And it's going to come true again today. It's going to come to fruition again today. God patient. Okay. And so turn to Matthew chapter 22. Verse 22. When they heard it, they marveled. They left him and went away. That day, Sadducees came to him. who say that there is no resurrection. Asked him a question. Saying, Teacher, Moses said, If a man dies, have no children. His brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died, having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. So to the second and the third, all the way down to the seventh. After them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they, for they all had her. Verse 29, but Jesus answered them, you're wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given to marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He's not God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. Let's let's have a word of prayer. Lord, as as your word has has hit our ears now, these these words are different than than rods or anyone else's. Lord, these are sacred, true, infallible words uh, of life to us. And so as we've heard them now, Lord, I pray that you would grant understanding to these words. Um, as we contemplate them, as we think deeply on them, as we uh, try to encourage one another with them, Lord, be with us. Give life to, to dead hearts. Lord, give hearing to stop ears. Lord, uh, not only for our benefit, God, but for your glory. And so pray these things in the name of Jesus today. Amen. Um, Jesus answers another trap question here, right? So through last week, the Pharisees came and they tried to trap him with a tax question. Uh, they were unsuccessful. And so they left him. They said, we're astonished and they left him. And so now it's new groups turn to step up and try to mess Jesus up. Right to try to trip him up, and this is the group called the Sadducees. And Jason mentioned a little bit uh, about the Sadducees. This this was a group that was more 
political, probably, than, than anything, than even the Pharisees especially. They were kind of the, the higher end, the, the uh, financial elite, economical elite. They had a lot of money, a lot of resources. Um, they, they probably didn't hate the Roman rule quite as much as everybody else because they had the means to kind of do some things about it. And part of their theology, if you will, actually comes from the Old Testament, right? So the Sadducees believed what the first five books of of the law, of Scripture, say. So, stand with me. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right? So those, very good. Very good. You guys are awesome. Um, I heard a lot of Awana kids, I think, in there, so good. Um, those first five books, depending on kind of where you look, those are considered either the Pentateuch, um, or what's the other term for it? The Torah. Uh, and, and those are the first five books of the law. Right? The Old Testament, the Jews divided the Old Testament into kind of three big categories. Uh, there was the law, the prophets, and then the writings. Okay, the law consisted of the five books that we talked about, and um, they they capture really the progressive revelation of God to us, to man. So these first five books, they're considered the law, and they contain the Ten Commandments, which is what we think of the law often. But they were so they were about so much more than those things. They they were God's guide to His people. They provided an overview of really maybe unbeknownst to the Jews at the time, but they provided an overview of God's plan of redemption and his plan to provide this, this provide a backdrop then these first five books to everything else in scripture that would follow. And that's why you see in the new Testament, uh, Jesus speaking, Paul speaking, Peter speaking, they quote frequently from the first five books of the Bible. Oftentimes they were speaking to Jewish audiences and that resonated with them. They had knowledge of that uh, history, that background. And so they would use that to help them understand the things of God. So the, the Pentateuch is this backdrop to everything else that we see in scriptures. But the Sadducees believed that and yet they were far less concerned with actual biblical things and far more concerned with the politics of the day. That, that's what their focus was, okay? And part of what they believed, as it says here in Matthew 22, is that there was no resurrection. They didn't believe in resurrection from the dead. And that's how this all connects to our story now. They didn't believe in a physical resurrection. So you can imagine the problems that this caused, you know, after Jesus had raised again, and the apostles start preaching about this, you can imagine some of the conflicts that were happening in this in this time and, and soon thereafter. Um, they not only denied the resurrection, but any kind of existence of the spiritual world in general and anything related to the afterlife, right? So when you breathe your last here, it's, it's over. It's done. Life, existence, comprehension, it shuts off. This is, this is what they believed. There was no life. There was no eternal punishment, no eternal reward. There was nothing after this life. Um, in, in this, 
oftentimes, we would see a great amount of arrogance in their hearts. They would, and, and we see that now because they're taking their step, they're stepping up to the plate. Well, the Pharisees, the Pharisees couldn't get it done, messing, you know, messing with Jesus. So now it's the, the Sadducees. And so they step in and they offer this uh, unusual question. And it's really unusual when you think about what we just talked about, about their belief system, right? They don't believe in an afterlife. They don't believe in resurrection from the dead. And then they ask Jesus this question about seven brothers who all have the same wife. Well, whose wife is she in, in heaven? Let that sink in for a minute. They don't believe in heaven. They just ask Jesus about heaven. So it's pretty obvious that this is a trap again. They're just trying to mess with Jesus. And they ask this question about seven brothers. This is tough for us to get in you know, our culture. 2018, um, we don't do things the same way that they did in biblical times. And it's customary if if uh, there were brothers and one brother's wife died, that that wife would be um, become the wife of the other brother specifically for protection, for provision. Uh, unfortunately, at that time, ladies didn't have a lot of rights. So they didn't have claim over any land. They didn't have claim over any possessions generally, very few if any. And so this was a protection for the wife to be with her husband's brother. And so that's where this question comes from, from the Sadducees. It's a, it's a curious question, and Jesus answers them, I think, with the same kind of um, authority and attitude that he did with the Pharisees right before this. Right? I mean, he came at the Pharisees, and he called them hypocrites. He wouldn't waste any words, miss any words with them. They knew where he stood. In fact, they said that, right? They said, you don't have prejudice. We know you speak the truth. All these things that were true about Jesus, they just didn't see it uh, in, in their heart. And Jesus answers the Sadducees with the same kind of motivation and attitude that he did with the Pharisees. And he says, um, you're wrong. Have you guys ever been in a conversation? Maybe it gets a little bit heated. And someone just says, you're wrong. What does that do to the conversation? I mean, it's kind of over, right? We know where they stand. <laughs> you're wrong. Well, Jesus says, you're wrong. Because, and he lists two reasons, two things. He says, because you don't know Scripture. You do not know the Scriptures. Number two, he says, you don't know the power of God. And those things, I think, are tied pretty close together. Um, but he says, you don't know scriptures, scriptures and you don't know the power of God. This was, this was not a probably a pleasant thing for the Sadducees to hear. Because they prided themselves on education, on wealth, on knowledge and understanding. And for Jesus to say, you don't understand, was a shock to the system. Right? Now, the power of God is such that he is making a world more wonderful than anybody can now imagine. That's the power. He says, you don't understand the power of God. God is making a world more wonderful than you could ever imagine. Because their focus was here, now, this world only. There's no afterlife. There's no reason to, to, to morally project their opinions on other people because it didn't matter in the end. There's no afterlife. And Jesus is saying, wait, God is making something better than this. 
and you need to start. Now, hopefully you have, those of you who are married, hopefully you have an awesome marriage, an incredible marriage. Um, marriage is without its challenges and its difficulties, but hopefully yours is, is great. We know from Scripture that God places a huge value and importance on the institution of marriage. Okay? We're not going to get into all of that today, but I want to say that God thinks that marriage is terrific. The New Testament writers point this out often. They say it's an example of Christ's union with the bride, with the church. And that's why um, mutual love and support and submission and respect and all of these things are important in a marriage. Okay? So you have a great marriage, but Jesus teaches something unusual here about marriage, doesn't he? Something that sometimes, if you have a good marriage, you might kind of get a little disappointed about. Because he says, there's no marriage in heaven. Okay? Why is this? Well, Jesus brings in I, the idea of angels into the discussion here. Angels. Now, why, why would he do that? This is key to our understanding of, of why he said this and what this passage teaches. Um, think about this. Uh, we were talking in um, one of our adult Sunday school classes today about the story of Jesus' birth, right? The angels, the angel comes into the shepherds, he gives this pronouncement, and then a whole host, an army of angels appear. What was their job? To proclaim the good news that God had sent them to give. Right? If you look at every instance where angels appear in Scripture, every time they have a specific task to do, don't they? Right? Uh, You see Gabriel often, every time he's got a specific thing to say and to do. This is what's going on. Angels are created with a job to do the will of the one who sent them, right? To do the will of their creator, the one who gives instruction. So some of them do his work in the physical world, right? We're just talking about pronouncing Jesus' birth, um, appearing to the wise men, uh, appearing to Mary and Joseph. Um, Some of them as we find out in other parts of Scripture, they have the job of hanging around the throne in worship. That's what God created them to do and to be, and so fulfilling the job that God's given them, the task at hand. But here's the thing. Every angel has their deepest and eternal relationship with God. Not with you, not with me, not with one another. They're not up in heaven, hanging out, playing poker with one another. They have a job to worship God. It's a job. They have their deepest and eternal relationship with God. And in heaven, it's going to be the same for us. It's going to be the same for us. Our deepest relationship isn't going to be with another created being. It's going to be with Creator God. Right? And so that's why... Even if you have a great marriage, don't be disappointed in this. Because the value of our relationship with God is greater than our relationship with our spouse. And yet, here on earth, we're absolutely called to love them, to sacrifice for them, to give of ourselves their benefit. Right? Because that's a picture of Jesus in the church. But in heaven, it's going to look different. 
That's good. That's okay. Marriage is wonderful, but it's not eternal. It's serving a purpose. God's purpose. And God in His power is going to establish relationships of even greater joy, of even greater love in the life to come. That's hope, brothers and sisters, that we can cling to. That's hope. God's making a better relationship than what we have here now. So, the Sadducees, they didn't know the Scriptures well enough, he says, to know that they actually do teach the reality of of resurrection. And I'll just point, they're in your notes, uh, I'll just point them out and read them quickly, but Daniel 12, 2, talks talks to this. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Isaiah 26, 19, Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. Your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. Now there's a lot of imagery and pictures in these verses. But if they knew Scripture well enough, they would have known these things. And Jesus is saying, you just don't know. You don't understand. And so to make it clear to everyone who's listening, Jesus quotes from the law that they say they believe from Exodus. You could flip there. Go ahead and turn there. Exodus chapter 3. This is what he quotes. Exodus chapter 3, verse 6. And this is the situation with Moses and the burning bush. And God is speaking in verse 6. He says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. This is what Jesus quotes here in Matthew 22. And he says, he's quoting, and he says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So, he makes this clarifying statement right after this. If you keep reading in Matthew 22, after he says that, quotes this, he says, He is not God of the dead, but of what? But of the living. Now, we're not going to have a grammar lesson. I'm going to ask you to diagram a sentence. Does anybody even know what that is anymore? Raise your hand if you can diagram a sentence. All right. Excellent. Uh, that is a lost skill, even more so than writing in cursive at this point. Um, we're not going to have a grammar lesson today, but look at the tense, right, of of what this is written in. What tense is this? Is it, I'll, We'll just keep it easy. Is it past tense? Is it present tense? Or is it future tense? It's, it's present tense, right? He doesn't say, I was the God of these guys. He says, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. When when Moses wrote these words in Exodus, those guys, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, had been gone. They'd been dead for a long time, for lots of years. And we're told here that God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So this is the present tense. He was still the God of these patriarchs, of these men. 
Okay, so let's think about the implications of this. If if this is implying that these guys, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, if they are still alive, and the rest of the Old Testament also points to the resurrection of the dead, which we've talked about a couple of those verses, then the Sadducees should have recognized God's power to be able to raise these guys from the dead and all his people to enjoy his eternal covenant of life beyond just this present life of of what's to come. And this is what the Sadducees missed that's really just so, so spectacular. It's this. I want us to get it today. I don't want us to miss it. Creator God, the God who flung the stars into space, who created everything we see by the word of his power in just six days. He created every plant, every animal, every human being intricately, personally, and specifically with amazing uniqueness. This same God is patiently inviting these Sadducees into a personal relationship with him. And he's personally inviting you me into a personal relationship with him, the creator of the universe, the great lover of all is calling us to a relationship with him, just like he did with the wedding feast, the father at the wedding, sending out the invitations right now, this very minute. And this is what I said last week as we close. If you have breath in your lungs, if you're breathing in and out right now, God's patient. God's patience is extending to you. Praise God for that. We don't know how long we're going to continue to take breaths. You don't know. I don't know. God does. God's invitation extends to us today. Don't don't miss it. Don't ignore it. Last week we talked about how some people dig their heels in. Don't do that either. See, we what I've thought about this this message is the idea of rejecting Jesus. And, and everybody rejects him for a reason. Like there's some motive behind why somebody says no to Jesus Christ in a relationship with him. Some people reject him because they're just different. They don't really care about who it is or what his plan is or what his rule is. Like the, the, wedding, the wedding feast at the beginning of this chapter. Right? Some people reject because they're just indifferent. Some people reject him because they won't hold on to the power and the control like the Pharisees did. They thought they had some power and they wanted to keep it and Jesus threatened that. Some people reject Jesus because they just want to keep the power full of pride. Some people want people reject Jesus because like the Sadducees here, um, they don't care about the things of the next life. They're only living for the here and now. They're consumed with the things of the earth, with the, th- the temporary things of this world. There are a plethora of reasons why someone would reject Jesus. And every single one of them be regretted the instant that person takes their last breath. That's why it's imperative believers. As we watch the video today, we're sent people. It's imperative as believers to go. 
Right? This was Jesus' command before he left. Go and make disciples. Guys, we cannot fulfill this command sitting on the couch. Uh, I'm as guilty as probably anyone about getting in the Netflix trap, you know? You sit down to watch one show and then the next one just plays automatically. Oh, there's only another four or five minutes. We understand that. We cannot fulfill the command of Christ. And it's a command. It's not a suggestion. If you have time, if you feel like it, it's a command. We cannot fulfill that sitting on the couch and doing nothing. People are perishing without Jesus. They're rejecting Him for any number of reasons. We've talked about some of them here. But God's, God's patience endures. Not forever. And I say that because of this. I want us to turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. If you've got a Bible in there, if not, it will be on the screen. John chapter 12, starting verse 35. I'm going to read verse 35 and 36. John 12:35 and 36. So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light. What's he talking about? Who's the light? You can probably guess. It's Jesus. He's referring to himself. He said, I'll, I'll be here for a little while longer, but not forever. Walk in the light while there is light. Don't, if you don't, darkness will overtake you. Brothers and sisters, we know people who the darkness has overcome. And I, I imagine it breaks your heart. And it should break our heart. But the truth here is, tying these things together, is if, if you have breath, the light is there. The light is among us. Don't put it off. Don't resist. Don't dig your heels in. While God's patience endures, while the light is among us, believe in the light, he says. Become sons and daughters of the light. Walk then in the light. That's that's our challenge. And it is a challenge, isn't it? If, if we're real, every day we get up, there's something that could cause us to despair. Whether it's a financial thing or a relationship issue or any number of reasons, there's something that could cause us to despair and to feel overcome by darkness. And Jesus is saying, don't be overcome with darkness. The light is among you. Walk in the light. How do we do that? We're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. And as, as we continue on in this Advent season, in this time where we reflect on Christ, Him coming incarnate into the world, living His life, dying on the cross, in substitution of you and me, this is the light we give to our families at this time of year. Right? We were talking about school class and a simple question can open the door for a meaningful gospel conversation. Just simple question. What was it that you said, Craig? What was the question that you asked? Why do you celebrate Christmas? 
It's a simple question. You can ask that to a five-year-old. You can ask that to a 95-year-old. And it opens the door for conversation. When that door is open, here's my encouragement. Let in the light. Right? Let in the light. We live in a culture of uh, political correctness. And people get angry because you're not supposed to say Merry Christmas anymore. Um, You can say Merry Christmas. It's okay. Um, Let in the light. When you have these conversations, don't think, well... They might be offended if I talk to them about my relationship with Jesus. Uh, truth told, that could happen. The, the gospel in and of itself is an offensive story. Because someone had to die for you because you aren't good enough on your own. And that's hard to, to swallow sometimes. But in those conversations with our family this Christmas holiday season, let in the light, brothers and sisters. God, if they're there, God's patience is extending don't waste the opportunity. Let in the light. It doesn't matter their reason for rejecting Christ. They'll regret it the instant they take their last breath. And we don't want that for them. We care. Board of prayer. And uh, ask God to give us more of this to be able to share. Lord, um, it, inevitably, Father, there are hearts in this room who are still in darkness. They're not walking in the light. They're not a son or a daughter of the light. Lord, and you desire, you desire all men to be saved. And so your patience is, is, is waiting for now. We're not promised tomorrow, Lord, and you've told us the day of salvation is today. So I pray for those hearts who are in darkness. They may not even recognize it fully right now. Lord, but for those I pray, God, that the light would be let in. The Spirit would quicken them, make them alive to hear your word and turn and repent and be saved. Lord, God, as we encounter our family and our friends this Christmas season, um, there's any number of reasons why they haven't trusted Christ, those who have. And I pray in, in maybe just a small way, we, we could challenge them, encourage them, and Lord, let in the light in those conversations. Let in Jesus, Lord. Take over our family gatherings this Christmas season. May they be revivals of of the heart where we don't celebrate just a little baby in a manger. We don't celebrate by only getting and giving gifts, Lord, but we recognize the greatest gift that was given. It's not one that we unwrap under a tree, Lord. It's one that changes our lives completely. And so we pray as we move into this and continue into this, Lord, God, we would make us people of the light. In your name we pray. Amen.